0: Welcome to the Knot Work Storytelling Podcast. This is the show where we untangle our myths and reweave our stories, one ancient tale at a time. I'm your host, Marisa Gowdy. I'm a word witch, a writing coach, a story healer, and the author of The Sovereignty Knot, a woman's way to freedom, power, love, and magic. Mythology and folklore are medicine for the modern soul. Let's hear today's story and explore why it still matters. Episode 9, A Feast for the Senses My guest in this episode is Elizabeth DeRoche. Elizabeth accompanies women as they learn to connect to high-frequency energies and openly express themselves in life and business. She nurtures them at key moments in their spiritual evolution and provides beautifully practical ways to make their greatest desires real. A lifelong creatrix, seeker, and entrepreneur, Elizabeth effortlessly enters unseen realms to gather sacred inspiration and valuable information. She braids these with the healing vibrations of color, scent, texture, and sound as her clients enjoy expansive, life-altering experiences. As you'll hear in the story she's here to tell today, this is absolutely true in every way. Elizabeth offers Weave Your World, a transformative private mentorship, performs intuitive, energetic threads readings, and is writing Creatrix Energetics, an interactive source book. I am so excited to welcome Elizabeth DeRoche to the show today. Elizabeth is a friend, a colleague. She's been a mentor of mine and continues to be. And she has a wonderful trove of stories at her fingertips. So as is our way at Not Work Storytelling, we let the story speak for itself. So we'll begin with the story and then dive into its meanings and resonances across the time and space. So Elizabeth, I'd love to hear your story.
1: Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me here today. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to write this story. As you said, it's coming from many, many influences in my life. And I'm going to tell it in a little bit different way than you might be used to hearing stories. And I would like you to imagine that you're sitting in a darkened theater. Your seats are plush velvet. The room is just barely lit by candles in the chandeliers high above you. The crowd around you waits in hushed anticipation because the scene is about to begin. Suddenly the heavy ink blue curtains open and you see a room in a beautiful castle. The ceiling is so high, you can't see it from where you're sitting. Around the room, there's ornate plaster work and soft tones of cream and sky blue. The floors are covered in plush, exquisite carpets. Around the room are carefully placed items Urns on tall marble pillars overflowing with ferns, richly stuffed canopies and armchairs arranged for intimate conversation. But you can't take your eyes off the figure in the center of this room. She sits with her back to you. All you can see is her exquisite cloth of silver gown. All around the edges there are careful embroideries. Her hair is done in a most elegant fashion, high up on her head with curls and feathers. And you can see that around the nape of her neck is a silver satin ribbon tied in a luxurious bow. At her wrists At her elbows are cascades of the whitest lace. And she sits with her back straight, looking out into the view beyond her. You can just see around her enough to see what it is she's looking at. And she's looking out over the most luxurious, verdant, rolling garden. At one point, you can see there's a fountain with splashing of water. At another area, you can see the carefully manicured trees. There's the odd peacock that passes. And in the distance, you can hear them crying, calling out. The sun is starting to set. So the shadows are getting longer and longer. And as those shadows are crossing the garden, they also begin to come into the room. And the mullions of the window, the windows, the tall French doors, which she's looking out of, cast a pattern on the parquet floor and across the round ebony table at which she sits. Now you've been looking for a while and you realize there are three chairs at this table that are empty. So... You wonder what's happening, what's going to happen. And she still sits motionless. The anticipation is building. And suddenly she lifts her right hand and makes the most elegant gesture. And the large doors behind her open. You can't see them, but you can hear them swishing open. And one by one, three. Elegant women enter. Being that this is hundreds of years ago, they come in smoothly and gently, and you can hear the rustling of the silk as it crosses the floor and over the carpets. The first woman who comes into view is a very young woman. She's dressed in a crimson silk gown, very low cut, with beautiful details, embroideries all around. She has garnet earrings falling from her ears, and her hair is golden and curls piled above her head. She comes and she sits down to the left of the woman at the table, and the woman finally moves and turns to greet her and says, "Welcome." La Demoiselle. And the young woman looks at her and says, thank you for inviting me. Next, another woman approaches. And this woman, she's older. She's more stately. And she's dressed in a shell pink gown, decorated with mother-of-pearl accents. Her hair is more sedate, yet perfectly coiffed. And she comes around the table and she sits directly in front of our first woman. And as she seats herself at the table, she's greeted, Bonjour la mère, la mère. And she also thanks our hostess for inviting her. Finally. There's a sound behind you, and the last woman is entering. As she comes in, you can hear her steps of purpose. She's not light and floaty like the first, and she's not sure and slow like the second. She comes in fits and spurts. She comes in, she pauses, she looks around, and then she slowly comes forward to the table and seats herself at the right-hand side of our hostess. This woman is wearing a dark violet gown and a silver filigree tiara. She is greeted. Bonjour, la sorcière. And now, as you can understand with these French names, you know we're in a French chateau. Now you're wondering, What happens? What happens next? With another elegant wave of her hand, our hostess calls for their afternoon tea. The end of a long, busy day for most people. But for these women, this is the beginning of the most unusual New Year's Eve celebration. Each of them has come to create something Each of them come to share their story. So in moments, the table is filled with viewers of wonderful hot piping tea, the most exotic blends, beautiful pastries and fruits dipped in sugar and just an incredibly elegant, sumptuous, delightful Meal is set before them. And as they're talking, and the hostess is serving everyone their tea, and everyone is beginning to have a a few tastes of the delights that they have in front of them, each of them pulls out a bag, a fabric bag. Of course, each bag corresponds with each lady's outfit. And the first, the young lady, she brings out. A large red bag. And in it is a satin pillow that matches her dress. And this satin pillow is covered with little tiny pins. And falling from these pins are threads wound around ivory bobbins. And she has come to work her lace. And lace It's like a spiderweb made real. And with each turning of the bobbins, they cross over each other and you place a pin and then you cross over again. And when those pins are removed, it creates a knot. And this young lady being that she has been doing this work for decades, it's very fast. So she begins to, to, they call it throwing the bobbin. She begins to throw the bobbins as she speaks. And our hostess, whose name I have yet to tell you, says, tell us, tell us what, what you have to bring today. So the young woman said, I have thought a lot about my young days. I haven't lived very long. But one of the things I realized is that in my life, I've always wanted to create places and experiences for other people. And my greatest joy is to create clothing. And I create these beautiful gowns. I create beautiful places where they can be seen. And over the years, I have become so good at what I do that now when I have an event or a gala, dignitaries come, princes and queens and and nobles from around the country come. And I thought this was a wonderful thing. I really, really enjoyed it until one day I realized that what I wanted more was to have children. And my dear, beloved husband wanted the same thing for me. And I realized that as her bobbins are flying, she's then her lace is growing longer. She said, I realized that what I thought I wanted to give joy to other people, to create experiences for other people was my Deepest desire, but now I know it is to bring other people into this world. Our hostess nodded and said, Yes, that is a very important realization. Now listen to what the others have to say because they, what they have to tell you will help you understand why you desire that. So then the next woman the one straight in front with her back to those beautiful gardens, La Mer. She begins to tell her story, and her story is how she did become a mother. And the main thing that she had to learn to do was to listen to herself. For years, like the young woman, she wanted to have children. And she tried everything that the doctors told her. She visited all the midwives. And as this woman was telling her story, out of her bag, she pulls out a ball of the most beautiful white Angora yarn, the softest, finest yarn that is so soft you can barely feel it. And as she's knitting, she tells the story of each time she went to someone and asked them, please help me, please tell me what to do. And each time she followed exactly what they told her to do, without thinking about what she needed to do herself. And each time it didn't work. Until one day she decided that she no longer needed to listen to what other people had to say. And the moment she did that, she realized that she was carrying her child. And she went on to have that child and another. And she realized that as much as she had wanted to continue creating things for the outer world. Creating a home, an environment, was more important for her. And the love that she could give her children and her family really filled her up with the delight that she thought she could only receive from outside. And she continues, and she's knitting these fine threads as the last woman, La Sorciere, begins to tell her story. She says, I too was like you, young one. I wanted to create the biggest, most glorious balls and have the largest dinner parties and be known and have people clamoring for invitations to my home. I too wanted children and I too had them. I created a home that was filled with love and happiness and. We lived a quiet life, and I had let drop away to the side, all thoughts of helping other people do things and giving other people joy. And I turned within, and I focused on myself, and the strangest thing happened. I no longer listened to anyone outside myself, other people, but what started happening was I started hearing nature the trees and the stones and the flowers started speaking to me. And at first, I was so frightened. I couldn't understand why why these messages were coming to me. And as this woman was speaking, she pulled up her bag, and out of it, she pulled out the most exquisite, iridescent fabric, a satin such as you've never seen before. And it had such a glistening glitter to it that it seemed like an entire rainbow was woven into it. And as she took the stitches, she talked. And she shared all of her experiences with hearing the water talk to her. And when she would go outside and look at the sky and there were messages in the clouds. And finally, she said, after many years, I stopped doubting them. I started to realize that what I was receiving was real. And it was mine to share. And no longer did I worry about who it was for. I just shared it. And the more I shared, the more came through. My dreams, my words, this, the very shadows on the ground were talking to me. Now, finally, our hostess thanks them all. Our hostess, whose name is long forgotten, but she was known as. La Cointrelle. La Cointrelle turned to them all and she said, thank you for this. And by now, it was no longer afternoon. It was no longer dusk. It was dark outside. They had talked all evening right into the darkest time of the night. The candles had been lit. The fire was roaring. And they continued their work. And by now they've all told their stories. So they worked in silence, a rich, velvety silence. And if you listen carefully, you could hear the bobbins being thrown, the stitches on the knitting needles passing from one to the other, the thread being pulled through the satin. And finally, La Cointrelle said, with all of that you've learned tonight, Being that this is New Year's, tomorrow begins a new year. And I would ask from each of you, those of you I have invited here, for a gift. What is it that you would like to give me? And the young woman, la demoiselle, she said, I would like to give you sovereignty. That is the gift that I have found within myself in all of my years. And with that, she handed La Quintrelle a pair of the most exquisite lace mittens. Thank you very much. And now La Cointrelle asked La Mère, What is it you would give me? And she said, I would give you love. And with that, she handed her the most delicate. Whisper fine hood knit of this white, snow white angora yarn. And now she turned to the last woman, La Saussure. Her tiara was glinting in the candlelight, and she said to her, And what is it you would give me? And La Saussure, she said, I would give you trust. And with that, she handed her the most unbelievably finely wrought cloak even in the candlelight you could see the colors rushing across it and inside the lining were in pockets pocket after pocket for stones for flowers for symbols for notes of love and power and so with that the night was almost over And the sun was beginning to rise over the horizon. And La Contrelle rose up and she put the mittens on. She placed the cloak around her shoulders and fastened the hood over her head. And what she didn't know was that each of these women had left a silver thread attached to the piece they had made. So as she rose up to go and greet the new year, she went around the table, and with each step, the threads pulled from each woman. The three threads were following her. She went over to the great French doors and threw them open and stepped out onto the balcony to survey her domain. And at the very moment that the sun rose on that, early morning it hit her outfit it glistened off the cloak it absorbed into the angora hood you could see the careful knotwork in the mittens and each of the women as the sun hit their piece disappeared in the other room because they had come up those silver threads and become La Quintrelle. And she was happy. She was filled with delight and pleasure. And she knew that everyone had come home to her, all of the pieces of herself. And with that, those heavy, inky, dark blue velvet curtains swished shut.
0: And the lights went out. I wanna stand and yell brava brava in the midst of this beautiful theater that I feel at once was full of so many people and yet was told for me alone, which is really the power of how stories hold us. Thank you, thank you so much for that. you performed that perfect storyteller's trick of offering us a story that was so universal and wrought from such cloths made of heaven and also so very purely your own. So I just really want to just remark upon the fact that those are the best kind of stories that give us so much insight into the storyteller and yet speak right to the heart of so many. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you. As I said before, I tell stories all the time, but I've never, I don't really put a a title to that, that I'm telling a story. So it was a little unusual for me to do that, but I really enjoyed it because yeah. It brings in everything I've ever studied. It brings mm-hmm. in everything I've ever thought of. Yeah. And yeah.
0: Yeah. So there's so many different places to begin, so many threads that we could pull and pick from. But where what struck me was the deep feminine nature of this story. And it's not just because it's about women. And it's not just because it's about a beautiful space and the details that you wrought and you know it's it's one of those like it's not just because it's not just because it's because of all of it all coming together and i've noticing myself as i am studying story and absorbing story more and more that it's actually the rare story that truly celebrates and just allows us to just fully immerse ourselves in the feminine but this story mm-hmm. really did that so effectively and i feel like i'm curious to ask knowing that it's deeply a part of you and that's just would be mm-hmm. how you tell it were you very conscious of that as you told that story
1: yes because well i can tell you a little secret that's my life mm-hmm. that is my life i came with my birthday a few weeks ago and there is a very large large pine tree down by the lake near where I live. And I don't do it very often, but this day I decided I was going to go and sit at the foot of this tree. And I was sitting there and I realized during my life I have moved, like literally upped and moved. And I realized that every time I had moved, I had stepped into a different phase of my life. I was like, wow, I never even clicked before. And and so looking at that, I realized that I had moved from the the maiden to the mother to the crone and each time i had moved and i thought well i'm sitting here i thought but i don't want to move again and this is when i realized i don't have to move that all the pieces all the pieces of who i am are within me and so the feminine encompasses everything and that's something when you look at something like a story like this the masculine is inherent in it in terms of if you look around like the all of the arts these women were doing were fiber-based, which are traditionally thought of for women. But the furniture, the gardens, the building, all of that traditionally and even now would be made by a man. So mm-hmm. I don't feel the need to separate out because for me, women encompass femininity encompasses the whole spectrum of frequencies and feelings and emotions and awareness and So yes, for me, feminine in this respect held both the power and the grace. Mm.
0: Yes, yes, yes. So this idea of the maiden, the mother, and the crone is, of course... Mm. It's at once an ancient one. It's also, you know, it's, some, it's something of a new invention. You know, if if the, the they who say are correct, a lot of it came through Robert Graves and the white goddess, and that's where some of that languaging came from. And yet he was inspired by ancient sources. Mm-hmm. And I know that as you were weaving these stories at, mo- at once very much your own, and yet also very much sourced by where you live in France, mm-hmm. the mythology of the land itself, I just love to hear a little bit about kind of what threads that you knew you were weaving together. Cause of course it's yeah. all woven from so much, but are there yeah. any particular threads that were speaking to you?
1: Well, it's interesting because almost every single myth of any duration has some component to do with thread or fiber. And if, if particularly if there's a woman in the myth, but not always mm-hmm. men to. And so I was looking at the fates. And when you look at the fates, they're kind of scary. Traditionally, apparently, they were even more powerful than the gods, even more powerful than Zeus. Because they basically said, when your life starts and when your life ends. And they had this aspect, too, that you were supposed to get. The theory behind it was they would make sure you got what you were supposed to get for that incarnation. So they were sort of setting the parameters for your life. And I was like, well, I've always kind of had a little... I don't kind of really like that idea <laughs> of someone outside myself setting up how my life is going to run. And so I was looking at that. And also, I also, the triple goddess, I'm perfectly aware that it is sort of a new invention because quite often before there were four goddesses, which is why I have four women mm-hmm. because the, it was much more in tune with the seasons. It was much more in tune, like the moon was looked at, that it had four phases, not three which it does, I mean, if you think about it. So I was bringing that in, but I switched it around a little bit because the fates are oh, 99% of the time as most witch representation or even things like where you have like in Sleeping Beauty when the, each fairy comes and gives a gift. Like quite often the fairy, the witches are not presented in a very nice way. They're quite often wizened and crunched over. And the traditional stories where there are three spinners which is related to the fates. the traditional story is that one has huge lips, one has a huge thumb and one has a huge foot and that's from spinning the flax, sewing and running the pedal on the on the spinning wheel and I again didn't we don't have to look like that just because we're powerful. <laughs> so this is it was my re, recasting of it It's like that I don't see that I can see how over the centuries, these women of power, who were originally exquisitely beautiful when we look at the early myths, slowly became, you know, these dried up old women who were deformed because they were making, creating realities. So this is what I was drawing on, these ideas. Also, there's a local myth. I live in Brittany, which is very, very connected to the Celtic lands. Originally, it was literally connected when there wasn't the uh, English Channel. And the fairies are alive and well running around here. And they ha- there is a myth about three women who they call the Lavandières, who sit by the river at night, washing the shrouds of those who are going to die the next mm-hmm. day. I found that slightly not, it's not a story that I really wanted delve into too much but what i thought was interesting was that with the three women they're creating realities and the, the myth goes on that if you interrupt them you've got two choices you either come and you help them or if you run away you're the one who shroud their washing hmm. so that also comes back to that you can be your own fate
0: right right and it's an interesting, you know, knowing that so many of our myths are at once, yes, that we were kissed by mystery and there's something from the unseen world. And there's a little bit of, if you come across women washing, you should probably offer to help. It would be much more polite. <laughs> so I just love that, of course, all these stories are always intended to speak to us at so many different levels. Someone in our the Facebook group for the podcast was, today it happens to be in bulk that we are actually yes. recording on, though we'll be going live with this in March. And she's like, the farmer in me can't help but wonder the reason why we leave out the, brat rege, the our, our cloaks for Bridget is as much because they needed a good airing at the beginning of each spring, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. well as of course that's when the goddess walked by. So just mm-hmm. knowing that these are such deeply practical stories in the yeah. midst of all these ways in which they play with the imagination, because of course the fates have become something of high mythology And yet at the same time, what's more real than the weaving of life and death? It's exactly what we, what the ancestors needed in order to understand why is it that we had, you know, our length of thread is a certain length for each number of years that we get. Why Mm -hmm. and how is that that happens? Mm -hmm. So I want to think about, I love that you have sovereignty, love, and truth as the Mm -hmm. gifts that come with each of your characters. And I'm curious to know how those each found you, if that if that's felt like that's a culmination of a lot of your work, or if it was in the creation process that it was like, oh, these, these are the characteristics and traits that wanted to come through.
1: A bit of a combination because I really took this as quite autobiographical. And like that was the, my first thing was to understand my personal sovereignty And I will always say that that is the reason that I was able to conceive my son after so many years of of being told it was actually impossible. And it was when I took my own power back and said, I'm going to figure this out for myself and I'm going to listen to my own body. And we can do that in every realm, obviously not just physical health. So for me, that's sovereignty is really listening to your own voice. The second one, love, that is, it's interesting because It kind of gets lost in the fluffy business and a lot of people like, oh, love. But for me, love is like one of the prime energies that if we come from a place of love, everything works. Mm -hmm. And that is definitely a mother or just anyone who's creating something. If you don't have love for the thing you're creating, it's not going to grow. Yeah, It's not like, you know, you can even look at the plants. Talk about a farmer. If they don't love the work they're doing and the plants they're trying to grow and the land they're doing it in, they don't get a good crop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we can take that analogy across everything, projects, children, everything. And the third, well, actually it's interesting. You said truth because I said trust.
0: Oh, interesting. I'm,
1: I'm wondering if there's, yeah, the trust was and the truth, actually both works, but for me, the trust was, and I get this with my clients, they say I'm getting these messages, these realizations. I'm seeing things differently. But is this real? And until you trust it, it is still real. But you're so busy saying, "Oh no," and you're putting it aside, and you're you know ignoring these these things that could help you move forward in your life. That complete and other trust in what it is we're receiving goes very well with the sovereignty and with the love yeah. of going within, and it is everything is, is perfect. Mm -hmm. If you can trust it, you know, when you trust it, you're calm and you're and everything sort of unfolds the way it should Mm -hmm. much smoother. Yes.
0: Yes. And that's something, you know, having worked with you for years, you know, a few years now, I can say that's something that you embody. And as you say, it's biographical, that makes such sense. And I am grateful that I made the mistake of saying, (laughs) Truth rather than trust, because for me, I realize I'm very much struggling with truth in that, both in that capital T sense and my personal truth sense. And I think that that word has become very meaningless because it's becoming this football around, well, this is my truth and this is why I'm going to do X or Y thing. And I am really sort of invested this year you know, with the writers I work with and others who just say... What do you go beneath? What do you really mean by this is my truth? Because we yeah. need to understand this at a more, I'm feeling my feet in the ground kind of, kind of level. Mm-hmm. I'm really understanding what it is to be in this atmosphere and connected to something more than, well, I just know. And I think that there's that sense of trust encompasses something that feels more real than truth right now, which feels just very much of a word that's being mm. bandied about mm. let's say mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i just appreciate of course we we slip and we added the wrong word because we need to talk about why it isn't the right oh, word never, but the yeah, others. it's
1: never the wrong word <laughs> it's, it's, it's exactly it's just yep.
0: yes It's another layer that's more interesting yep. to talk about and yep. to call us into another level of understanding
1: well trust is a word really when you think about it trust and grace and elegance they have a lot of people see them as old-fashioned mm. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and. When you look at it, really, why mm-hmm. is it old-fashioned to be centered, to be in your power, to not question yourself? Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. because we're in a society that doesn't want us to do any of those things. <laughs> <laughs> so I look at it like that, and I think, well, okay. So if you trust truly, truly yourself, then really everything else it just manifests in resonance to that trust
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah in the amazing synchronicities because that's what we live in and swim in this morning my seven-year-old got a visit from the tooth fairy and because it was a very she had to actually go to the dentist have some teeth extracted. it was very difficult And the the tooth fairy left her a ten dollar bill now being an american that means on american money there is that and i'm i'm like half asleep it's like it's still dark and she says huh mom, the money, it says, Alexander Hamilton says, in God, we trust. And it was just a very (laughs) interesting first thing of like, there are so many different thoughts happening and the sun has not (laughs) yet risen on this morning, but I'm grateful that the tooth fairy has brought trust and that sense of it's in bulk morning too. Oh, right. In God, we trust. Thanks goddess for giving my daughter that blessing into this new day Yes, And wow, another time we'll talk a lot about what it means to have that printed on money. But I want to segue actually with that in the sense that you offered us such a rich environment, such a beautifully mm-hmm. opulent space mm-hmm. in which, you know, money does is not part of the conversation at all, but that ability to be in such a abundant world and that mm-hmm. sense of Luxury isn't out of style, and that it in fact is a character in the story. I'd love for you to say more. You know, I know knowing you come from medieval studies background and all of your mm. investment in love <laughs> of ancient fabrics and ancient design. Tell us more.
1: Okay, so again, this kind of goes back to for a lot of people, uh, they use a short form way of thinking of things such as luxury. They've been trained, or they've just haven't really thought of the fact that luxury doesn't have to be a yacht or you know golden dinner service. Luxury can be silence. Luxury mm. can be the sunshine coming across a floor of any type. And you look at it, these women, and this is actually, I never mentioned what La Cointrelle was working on. Yeah. This is so funny. She was doing a pastime called knotting. Now, I I brought this in on purpose and I forgot to to include it. So what they did in the 18th century, these women who had no need to work for whatever reason, they were at a certain level of society. And this could be you didn't have to be super rich, like even uh, middle class didn't really exist. But, for example, if your husband was a merchant, you didn't have to work. So and they created these various things ostensibly to pass the time. But really what they were doing is this was a way to order their thoughts and make something beautiful and have something that's tangible at the end of the day. You know, you can only drink chocolate so much. So the nodding is something that they came up with. And they were literally, they had a great big shuttle. It was kind of, if you know, tatting, tatting has a small shuttle. But for nodding, they had a big shuttle. And quite often it was very elegant and sometimes in gold. But what they were doing is they were making trim for their own dresses. Hmm. So they would, uh, basically, it was like tiny macrame. And then every once in a while, they would insert little tufts of, like, embroidery floss. And you can go online, you look at any 18th century gown, and you will see, like, one, one gown can have 50 yards in it. Wow. So what these women were doing while they were conversing while they were you know, seemingly sitting around frittering their days, they were making, because this was a form of self-expression. Hmm. So you'd go to a ball, maybe you probably didn't make the dress, but someone would say, oh, did you do your trim? Oh, yes, I do. I love the color and so mm-hmm. forth. And so that in itself shows you that even when a woman doesn't have to work, they're still using their hands. They choose as an artistic expression, which I always thought was really interesting because knowing what, do, what working with your hands does to your brain and your hormones and everything, makes sense why they were doing this. They were yeah. weaving spells. And the other thing too, is a lot of people don't know that this in the, particularly in the 18th century and even the 19th century, a lot of these women were running the countries. For example, Madame Pompadour, so she was a mistress of louis 15, Louis XV. And everyone thinks, oh yeah, mistress, but he wasn't terribly bright. (laughs) She was basically the prime minister. Mm -hmm. He'd come to her and say, what do you think? So she's sitting in her boudoir doing one of these things, embroidering or whatever, and he'd be talking over statecraft with her. And she'd say, well, you know, maybe, and she'd be entertaining the ambassadors and she opened the factories and she created a lot of the industry in France, was thanks to her. So Mm -hmm. this is why, I place this is because it's such a powerful, this is sacred craft, what these mm-hmm. women are doing. Mm-hmm. And if the more we do things like this, whether it's writing or sewing or knitting or whatever, the more we bring that power back into our lives.
0: Yeah. Yes. And you have a way about you of kind of giving this as a gift. Though across the miles as it may be, I feel like once I started speaking with you, you put kn- the knitting needles back into my hands after way too long away and Mm -hmm. really helped me understand that connection from heart to hands to that creation and what gets made as we sort of reach our close here it feels important to think about the set another word i associate with you is salon and that Mm -hmm. idea of bringing people together for ideas for crafting and making and in so many ways these four brilliant beings were creating their own salon for the night and my own work has brought me to really the preeminent salons in Ireland, especially in 18th century Dublin, were led by women. And there's just, again, the synchronicities. I need to, to, to draw out all these constellations because we can never make this up, that I've been working on a countess, the Countess of Moira, now, of course, Moira happens to be my elder daughter's name. Of course, it's very close to the word we use for the fates, right? The more I going to say, yes, uh, of course. So they come together. It also has it has Mary in it. So it has that sense of blending of traditions. So Elizabeth, Countess of, of Moira, was the one who really ran the preeminent salon that ran so much of politics that led to a huge shift in Irish politics, you know, the Irish question, et cetera. And then perhaps, you know, they don't mention the handicrafts that were done in this opulent, beautiful salon, but it was that weaving together of ideas of writers, Mm -hmm. of people coming together in these women's spaces in Mm -hmm. order to change the course of the world, Mm -hmm. knotted people together.
1: Exactly. And it's in in France, they called them les salonnières. Mm. Also, we have to remember, these women were given birth to the men who ended up being the politicians. They couldn't be the politicians themselves, but they're the mother or the grandmother or the aunt mm-hmm. of the prime minister or the, you know, whoever. So yeah, there was a lot going on in the Salons and um, a lot of poetry was written, a lot of paintings and portraits were painted. Mm-hmm. And the conversation, the, the reason they liked them the best, the reason they kept going is is, is behind closed doors. Yeah. So these people could play with ideas and it wasn't necessarily going to go out elsewhere. Right. There was a, somewhat a, of a, not a cloak of secrecy so much, but there was an understanding that some of this stuff that they were trying out wasn't necessarily ready to be right. spread elsewhere, right. which gave it a level of, uh, you know, only certain people were invited. And the woman who ran the salon, she was the one who chose the weaving together of who would come on a certain day to be in the room at the same time. It wasn't random. Right. So that's exciting.
0: Right. That making of matches and being the woman at the head of the table or the woman at that, you know, the heart of the circle to call people together. Yes. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for calling us into your circle, for weaving this beautiful story for us, for knotting it all together so beautifully. (laughs) Could you tell our listeners a little bit more about how to find you and your work and learn more about the beauty you create?
1: Well, actually, um, one of the things I've been working on for quite a number of years is simplifying Mm. how I work, what I do, and where you can find me. So the easiest way would just be coming to my website, which is my name, elizabethderrush.com. And I have various things there. You can also find me on Instagram. I post periodically. But generally speaking, I I really prefer to work quite intimately with people. It's either a small group or one-on-one. I do have a few things I'll be offering that'll be courses that I've already done that someone could just buy and enjoy on their own time to decide if they would like to come into my circle. (laughs) But yes, my website is the fastest, easiest place to find more about me and what I do. I'll include the link to that in the show notes, of course. Thank
0: you. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us, for calling us in. I do hope that our listeners will sit with these four women and see them as both the beautiful, you know, vibrant characters they are, but the archetypes to carry us all so far into our own stories. And that's a beautiful thing. So thank you so much.
1: Well, thank you. I enjoyed it immensely.
0: Before we close today, I want to tell you about a new offering of mine that I think you'll love. As a Work listener, you know me as a storyteller. You probably have a good idea of why I call myself a word witch, too. In addition to crafting and sharing stories from the past, I also help folks uncover and heal their own stories. This work helps you to be fully present in the now and to create a more beautiful, connected future. I call this work Story Healing, and the new offering of One to One Sessions is called Healing for Heroines. Healing for Heroines is a unique blend of energy medicine, intuitive guidance, and the language of archetypes and mythology to help you work through the tangles of life so you can weave a new story. Healing for Heroines isn't just for women. It's for non-binary folks and for anyone who wants to connect with the deep feminine wisdom within. Being a heroine is not just about being a hero in a dress. It's about deepening relationships, building community, and finding strength by asking for support. Learn more about Healing for Heroines over on my website, www.marisagoudi.com. Thank you for tuning in to the Not Work podcast. Please subscribe and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. And do share this episode with other lovers of myth and story. By the way, everyone is a lover of myth and story, even if they've forgotten. You can find out more about my writing, my book, and how to work with me as a writing coach and story healer, as well as my online writing community and courses at marisagoudy.com. Follow the show on Instagram at NotWorkPodcast and join our listeners group over on Facebook. Music on the show is by the wonderful Beth Sweeney and Billy Hardy a Celtic fiddle and multi-instrumental duo based on Cape Cod, Massachusetts. The traditional Irish reel we play at the start of the show is called The College Groves. Find out about their music and shows at billyandbeth.com. Gratefully, I live, write, work, and record this podcast on the ancestral lands of the Muncie Lenape tribe, whose name means original people. Remember... Ancient stories are medicine for our modern maladies, and your stories can help heal the past, anchor us into the present, and create a more beautiful, sustainable future.